I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome back to the Train Happy podcast. My name is Tally Rye and this week we are going to be discussing the topic of binge eating disorder. Now this is a highly requested episode but I also appreciate that it's a sensitive topic and so for those of you who aren't in the headspace to listen to an episode on binge eating you might want to give this one a miss but for those of you who are interested we are joined by the brilliant dietitian Kirsten Ackerman today to discuss binge eating and uh, recovery from binge eating through an intuitive eating lens. I really enjoyed this conversation I felt like I hope we covered a lot of key points um, in this discussion and I will be linking to more resources on binge eating in the show notes for you if you do feel like you need help and support because I hope your number one takeaway from listening to this episode is that no matter where you are with your relationship with food if it feels off it feels off and that is valid and you deserve help so I will be linking to things in the show notes for you before we get into this week's episode just a couple of things firstly the train happy 2022 greece retreat we still have spaces available for you so if you would like to book yourself something to look forward to in 2022 five nights away in gorgeous greece we're staying in the town of chennaia on the island of crete and you just want to stay in a beautiful villa overlooking the gorgeous crystal blue sea with a group of like-minded people digging deeper into intuitive movement learning more about yourself feeling better about your body and you want to explore the surrounding areas as well then you need to book on this retreat and get your spot uh, reserved now i should say there's so many advantages to booking this early including payment plans um, that can make it really affordable throughout the year so if you are interested in the Greece retreat, then I'll pop the info for that in the show notes. And of course, I can't wait to see you there. Whoever's listening, whoever's going to go and book that spot, I can't wait to see you there. And this week we have the return of our train happy trooper of the week. Now, it was only right that for an episode with Kirsten Ackerman, the dietitian. Our train happy trooper of the week was also called Kirsten. So here's Kirsten's train happy moment. I started doing CrossFit earlier this year, which I know isn't for everyone, but I genuinely love it. And I don't beat myself up that I can't do some of the exercises properly like pull-ups. But I was booked on a class Monday morning and I just didn't feel like it was what my body wanted. At first I felt guilty, like no, you must go to the gym. It's a Monday morning, start the week well, then I stopped, listened to my body, I had an extra 20 minutes in bed, and then I got up, took my dog on a long walk, and instead listened to a podcast. It was great. 
podcast and I'm obviously going to say I hope you listen to the Train Happy podcast but I appreciate there's some other great ones out there too. (laughs) I think that's such a fabulous example of one of those small moments of listening to your body and how when we keep repeating those moments of listening to your body whether it is listening to your body for rest or to move you're building that up that trust and connection and you're you know you're reassuring yourself that you will you're you will do what your body asks of you and that is huge so Kirsten thank you so much for sharing that with us you can hear more from Kirsten or see read more from Kirsten over on our Instagram page you'll see we're doing a special train happy trooper of the week feature on our Instagram grid so make sure you go check us out you can find us at train happy podcast if you would like to be featured as train happy trooper of the week we want to hear from you so the best way to do it is via direct message on Instagram you can dm us at train happy podcast or you can email us train happy podcast at gmail.com right enough from me let's get into this week's conversation on binge eating disorder Kirsten, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you so much, Tally. I am doing great. Uh, yeah, I'm just easing into my morning over here. Got my pumpkin coffee, so <laughs> I'm good to go. I know it is the season, isn't it? I do feel like as a non-coffee drinker, because <laughs> I just don't like it, that I'm missing out on all those like pumpkin spice things. Although I did see they do pumpkin spice cookies now at Starbucks and I was thinking I need to try one of those. That does sound great. I feel like I saw it might have been at Starbucks that they have I can't remember if it was like a pumpkin steamer and it's essentially just like pumpkin with milk. I don't know. Ooh. Yeah, right? So it's like not coffee. I don't know. So that that might be a thing for non coffee drinkers. <laughs> I need to get in I need to get in on this. Because right? this is yeah, I need to get in on it because it's October now. So just kind of transitioning. Right. It's prime time. Yes. Yes. And um, so I wanted to have you on today to specifically talk about binge eating, which we will get into because this was, you know, quite highly requested from everyone listening and a topic I feel we need to kind of deep dive on the podcast. But before we get into that, I want um, to know more about you and how you became to be a dietitian and a dietitian that specializes in intuitive eating. What was the path there? Yes, it is quite a long story. Um, <laughs> we got so, time. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, so I mean, my story kind of started with, you know, my own struggles growing up, right? Like I grew up in a household that was definitely very weight focused. My mom was, you know, a dieter, Jenny Craig, Nutrisystem, all the things. Um, I actually recently found out that she actually worked for Jenny Craig at some point. I didn't even realize that. So all of that to say, like she was very much embedded in that. I was, it was never kind of placed on me uh, as a kid, but it's enough just to kind of be around it and see your mom you know, having her own issues with her body and struggling in that way. So that's kind of like the environment I grew up in. It took until about like late middle school, early high school for me to start questioning um, or yeah, start having issues with my own body image essentially, which stumbled into, you know, it affecting my relationship with food. I never saw it as an issue. I mean, I more like thought what's wrong with me? Why can't I get this under control? But I didn't see it as like 
a disordered thing. Um, and then when it became time for me to decide what to study in school, I was kind of like, I don't really know. Like, I'm not really, I was so hyper fixated on like food in my body that I honestly didn't have a lot of other things going on. Like this, it kind of was all consuming. So basically it only made sense to me to kind of pursue a career in the realm of food. I was like, yeah, like that's what I'm passionate about. That's what I think about all the time. Um, and there was definitely this like thought of, you know, if I go to school for nutrition and like help other people with eating well or whatever, then maybe I can escape gaining weight and struggling with my body like my mom has as she's gotten older or all of these quote unquote like weight related diseases that I was fearful of. I was like, maybe I can like find the key and, and get, you know, whatever, escape all of that. So there was a lot of fear in my choice to pursue nutrition. Um, I went through, you know, my bachelor's got a, a degree in nutrition, then got my master's in nutrition as well. And then somewhere in that mix, I was also doing like the dietetic internship and sitting for my exam. Um, so I did all of that without ever really realizing the extent of what I was struggling with regarding disordered eating and without ever certainly never uh, hearing about intuitive eating or anything like that. Um, and I, I kind of think it's interesting in retrospect, because really I remember being a nutrition student and thinking like, yeah, like diets don't work, like, you know, kind of like rolling my eyes a little bit about around at people around me doing diets. And yet what I was learning was at the root of diet culture, right? Like it was at the heart of diet culture, what I was learning in this very like weight centric lens. Um, so yeah, my first job as a dietitian was actually, again, in the heart of diet culture, I was at a weight loss surgery clinic. That was my, my first introduction into the field. And I was kind of like, oh, like it's, you know, it's one-on-one -on -one counseling. Like that's what I want to do. I guess I'll do weight loss surgery, whatever. So that was the environment that I was hanging out in when I stumbled upon Christy Harrison's Food Psych podcast and, you know, blew my mind, shook my world, both personally and professionally. Um, I really, after sitting across from all of these folks in larger bodies, really dealing with like the just all the weight stigma, all the stuff, and then hearing Food Psych Podcast and a lot of those things, and of course, doing my own deep dive into everything, I was like, oh my gosh, like there's no going back. Like my eyes are open. There's no going back. I started, you know, on my own healing journey and eventually got to the point with um, the bariatric surgery clinic where I was like, yeah, I, I uh, can't do this anymore. And um, yeah, so that's when I ended up kind of exploring some other areas of nutrition. I worked in a dialysis clinic for a little bit, all the while kind of building up my own business and starting to see clients for intuitive eating. Um, and then recently, earlier this year is when I kind of took the dive to do full-time, uh, you know, intuitive eating work. So yeah, that is in a nutshell, my, my journey to becoming an intuitive eating dietitian. I want to pick up on what you were saying about the the idea of not being on board with diets as you know going through all your training yes. and rolling your eyes at things and I and I I see this a lot it's like oh diets like Weight Watchers and stuff like don't do that but if you do the lifestyle diet yes and it's always that like 
it's not it's not a diet it's just you know healthy eating or whatever um and it can get really sneaky like that and I do think in that nutrition space you kind of see that the lines get really blurred and there's a lot of like cognitive dissonance of like oh well diets don't work but what I'm doing is isn't a diet for sure. Like that is 100% where I was. And it's just, again, so weird for me to look back on it. Cause I'm like, wait a second. Like it was all the same thing. It was all Mm -hmm. restricting and these rigid rules with the hope of changing or yeah, with the, the end goal being, or expectation being that of course weight will be lost. Like, of course, when you do healthy supportive things and you eat well and move your body, you become smaller. Like that's what health looks like, but it's, again, it's like behind that curtain of like, but that's not really what it's about. You know, and it's, this is actually sustainable, blah, 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 blah. But really it's all the same. (laughs) And what is it about intuitive eating specifically that is really kind of speaks to you and Mm. you see like, you know, works well with your clients and that you feel like professionally, this is what I want to do and the framework I want to use. Um, because I, I can see the benefits. Yeah, it's so, I mean, the, the word that comes to mind is freeing. I mentioned yeah. as I was, yeah, I mentioned as I was going through my story that like, I remember being so all consumed and fixated on food in my body. And like my world was so small because that's what it was. And now I see that over and over again, when I have my, you know, discovery calls with new clients, like they're in that boat and intuitive eating is this tool that, yes, allows you this food freedom that's amazing. But really what's so amazing about that is it expands your world. It expands like your ability to like get like have a fulfilling life and and do meaningful things and have relationships that serve you and, and all the things, right? So it's like, that's what's so beautiful about it. It's It's that it's not actually about the food. It's what healing your relationship to food in your body allows you to experience. I completely agree and resonate with that on a deep level of like, you know, yeah, just living, a, like you say, living a very small life that's very focused on, yeah, making sure I work out, making sure I meal prep, making sure I do this. And actually when you let go of that control of just, oh, wow, this you have so much more time to just live life to Mm -hmm. be with friends, to be spontaneous and go do things. And, you know, life becomes more meaningful in that Mm -hmm. sense. And yeah, I, I completely, completely resonate. Yeah, for sure. I also think too, though, that transition, I mean, obviously, right, this transition is very scary, because what's nice, quote unquote, about the small life is that it can feel very comfortable and safe, even with Mm -hmm. the struggles that are kind of coming up, whether it's binge eating, emotional eating, but it feels safe. And to all of a sudden transition out of that and come to intuitive eating and work on healing your relationship to food and expanding your world, it, it can feel really scary and overwhelming. And I think it's important for people to know that, that if you're in that boat and it's like, oh my gosh, like this feels like a lot, like, is this the right thing? Like that, that's the healing happening, right? Like that's normal. (laughs) Yes. The, you know, how they say like progress comes from when you get outside your comfort zone and like it can so be your comfort zone, but you just want to dip your toe a little bit and then like retreat back into the comfort zone just for a little bit. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I, I wonder if you've ever kind of had, 
you know, I have that thought go through my head occasionally of like, if I just didn't know everything I know about diet culture and, you know, um, how diets are set up for failure and, you know, just how, you know, diet culture is like underpinning fat phobia and racism and all these things. Mm -hmm. Like if I didn't know this, life would be so much easier and I could just go about doing all the things I want to do and conforming to all of society standards and just going, you know, just maybe I could just, you know, lose some weight and do whatever. And uh, it's, I just have sometimes that thought will just go through my mind and I'm like, but you know what you know and you can never go back because you know too much. Yes, um, for sure. Yeah, I wondered if that, yeah, I have a feeling people listening might might resonate with that. Oh, yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I think there's that comfort in participating in diet culture, right? And there's that frustration when you realize, I can't go back. I won't go back. I know too much. But also, I don't know how to make peace here. And it's this weird, mm. like, what the heck do I do with this? I wish I could just, like... Yeah, I wish I could just like go back and not know. But at the same time, it's like, again, there's so much that has been gained by by moving out of it. So it's it's tricky. Yeah, I think there will be people listening. And I know there will be people listening just from the feedback I get from people listening who might, you know, get in touch um, on Instagram and stuff of this feeling of being a bit in limbo of like, okay, well, I know there's a different way and I want to give it a go. But at the same time, it's so hard to let go of this old, you know, these old um, habits and this old belief system. And, you know, it's like, I can see, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but I kind of, uh, yeah, just (laughs) being like, we want one foot in one, one foot in the other, which is so normal and understandable. Yeah, for sure. I just had a conversation with a client yesterday, basically. And, you know, she was in that place. And, and I was like, well, well, what do you see as your options? Like, what, you know, what, what feels right to you? And she's like, I want, you know, basically, her answer was, I want a little bit of both. I want like the best of both worlds, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that, yeah, that's just like a feeling we have to sit with and, and move through because it's it's totally normal. It is totally normal. And I think, yeah, I hope this is reassuring. For people mm-hmm. So I want to move into discussing specifically binge eating disorder, because we've kind of discussed various um, eating disorders on this podcast previously. And so obviously, I'm going to give a bit of a um, moment for people listening. If you're not ready for this conversation, then maybe this isn't the time to hear a conversation about binge eating disorder. But um, and you might want to come back later on, but maybe this isn't the time for you. Um, but we, I do want to get into it um, because I do think this is a this is becoming increasingly spoken about, um, and I'm seeing a lot of similar dialogue around binge eating um, that I think puts a lot of like onus on the individual and makes the individual feel like they're completely to blame because they're so out of control with food, and if if they could just be more disciplined and just be normal like everyone else then things will be fine but I I think it's way more complicated than that and you know no individual should be blamed so Mm -hmm. let's start with what is binge eating disorder in, in its sort of definition 
Sure. Yeah. It's so funny, Tally, because I re- I had to like Google this. I'm like, I work with clients every day that identify with binge eating. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know exactly how to put it into words, but you know, basically the, the answer I came up with, right. Is like binge eating disorder is having frequent episodes of like essentially feeling out of control around food. People might define it as like having excessive amounts of food. Um, but it's these freaky frequent episodes of feeling like powerless out of control, compulsive, and guilty, right? Guilty, Mm -hmm. embarrassed, feeling like you need to hide um, this from other people, feeling shameful about it. Um, But it's, yeah, it's this excessive overeating and frequent episodes of it. And what do you, um, yeah, so for those people listening who are thinking like, okay, this kind of resonates with me Mm -hmm. and my experience, are there key criteria do you have to tick certain boxes to be diagnosed um or do you think that the diagnostic criteria can fall short and some people you know don't you know slip through the cracks and Mm. don't think that they're sick enough to get help yeah yeah yeah. so I mean yeah my my gut instinct uh is to say that like if you feel like it's very simple if you feel out of control with with your food and you feel like this feeling of power powerlessness to stop and you feel this like desire to to sneak and hide and you feel shameful and you're kind of like I think you know I think this is what I'm struggling with like period end of sentence like you deserve help and support and like you are you are struggling with it when we come to like more specific criteria I mean it's going to be things like like I think the actual what I found when I looked it up is like once a week episodes of, you know, this feeling of out of controlness with food for at least like three months or something, right? Like that's kind of like how they frame it. When I think about my clients, like it doesn't always look like that. And yet they're totally struggling with binge eating, right? Sometimes it's it's less frequent than that. Maybe it's like certain situations like holidays or around certain family members or whatever that really trigger it for them. And it's not so consistent. And it's like, does that not qualify because it doesn't meet those numbers? In my head, it's it's totally like silly. Like it's a, of course they're still struggling with it, right? Um, so yeah, there. And other than that, I mean, it's the things I mentioned before in terms of like uncomfortable fullness, like feeling that embarrassment or needing to sneak and hide, um, feeling the guilt, eating really quickly might be a symptom of it, right? So if you have like some of those things going on, like you're you're totally meeting the criteria. Yeah, I I do think just in with eating disorders in general, like so many of us convince us convince ourselves that we're not quite there. Like, well, you know, it's not great, but we're not as bad as we as it could be. Yes. And I think, you know, with my own experience with orthorexia, I for a long time would say I had a very disordered relationship with food, but I I even felt hesitant saying orthorexia because I don't know, it it didn't feel like like I don't know that I could admit that or it was you know was it that serious but when I look back it absolutely was that serious so you know when I really reflect on it like wow it was 100% orthorexia and I won and I do think that sometimes yeah having boxes to tick make people feel like it's not as serious but yeah if you're you know secretly buying certain foods and becoming quite ritualistic about it Mm -hmm. and feeling quite primal in what you're doing um these can be big red flags to say that there's something that needs to be you know um 
supported here and you need you you can get support for these things and I think with things like binge eating as well because there is so much shame involved Mm -hmm. so much shame it really does hold people back from getting the help they need because you do feel like it's your own fault I I saw TikTok is such an interesting place because it just exposes me to things that I probably wouldn't necessarily see on Instagram because I do like to like live in my echo chamber I won't lie yep (laughs) and uh I saw this girl post videos about how she was how she was tackling her binge eating and she would buy certain you know buy all the snacks she wanted but she'd buy like you know fun size versions of them or you know like a fun size chocolate bar rather than the whole chocolate bar she'd portion them up in these boxes and if ever she felt like the urge to binge she would be allowed her allocated snacks for that day and like she'd it would almost be like a meal prep scenario thing. okay and this was her way of dealing with it um and I think for her she probably felt like the onus was on her to try and control this and you know she just needed a bit more willpower and willpower and discipline and and she just stuck to this routine but um at the heart of binging would you say is that feeling of restriction that even if you're allowing yourself to eat certain things or a certain amount of things that there can be a physical restriction and a mental restriction at play oh my gosh yeah like you hit the nail on the head there right like I think it's as you're talking and the whole thing about like folks struggling with binge eating or identifying with that thinking like, I just need to like get this under control, have more willpower, like figure this out, like control it better. It's so ironic, right? Because that attempt to control is essentially is, is feeding into this perception of restriction, whether or not it's, it's true, like physical restriction or not, it's feeding that sense of restriction and scarcity, which is literally at the root of this whole behavior. So you're, you're adding fuel to the fire, a fire essentially. And that's, that's, what's so sad about the, this perception that like folks should just control better and have more willpower is that it's actually going against their healing to do that. It is, it is. And yeah, the idea that um, you have to, yeah, still be controlled with everything you're eating and doing, um, because otherwise, the pendulum swings the other way, and you get out of control. And I think the beauty of intuitive eating is it's like, no, we don't need to keep swinging from one end to the other constantly, we can find this middle ground where you're nourished all the time I want to get into the kind of the root of how we kind of approach helps helping someone heal their relationship you know heal yeah um, from binge eating but I think there's just a few more books a few more things I want to cover in terms of the disorder itself um I think one thing that's really interesting and I put you know put it to the audience to ask their questions and queries. And so this is kind of an amalgamation of of those responses. But I think there was confusion between what is considered an objective binge and a subjective binge. Is there a certain amount of calories? Like people were quite fixated on like, is it a number of calories or is it the feeling Mm -hmm. of feeling out of control? Or do you have to cross a certain threshold before it's considered a binge? Yeah. I mean, my like, 
first of all, I had never heard of objective or subjective binge, at least in that in those terms before. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's interesting. I mean, my gut and my true belief is that it is a feeling, right? It's it's that intensity, it's that powerlessness, that out of controlness, whatever. Like it doesn't need we don't need numbers to define it in my like it's an experience it's that feeling um if you look it up and google it like i did like they'll say you know it's i'm not going to give numbers here but it, basically it's like in one sitting eating an excessive amount of calories like maybe a day's worth or more right like it's something like that um but subjectively like a lot of people a lot of clients i've worked with they know they're like well i'm not really eating that much but it feels chaotic, out of control. I it, it's compulsive. I'm guilty and shameful. I'm sneaking it right. Like in that's all the same thing in my mind. Like the number of calories, the amount of food you're eating, or even not, like the feeling of overfulness is a little bit like in the background for me because it's more that experience of out of controlness. Yeah, and and the feeling like you say that like we said that shame and that chaotic energy yes that's really uh, I really like highlight that word I just think that's really kind of yes and you mentioned before too you said primal I love that too yeah. and it's like primal hunger like primal urge like there's just no stopping that train you know mm. yeah what I've what I've kind of learned and read about binge eating because I this is not my own experience and you know I'm not an expert in the issue but kind of what I have mm-hmm. kind of gathered from um being in this space I think especially is that yeah a lot of it can feel almost like an out-of-body experience you know like you're yes. just you're, you you're almost eating outside of yourself and there's a part of you that just keeps going even when you might want to stop um and that it can kind of feel a bit robotic, you totally. know, like you, you can't, you can't control in that moment, mm-hmm. um, which, which I think is, in, is interesting and yeah. yeah, maybe helps put it into perspective for people. Yeah. I think that, that resonates for a lot of people who, you know, who've experienced it. I think something for me that I, I think is interesting about sometimes how binge eating is approached is it's like folks think that they need to again, like control the situation in the moment, right? They're like, okay, next time that I get the urge to binge, like I need to like gain control of the situation and like whatever, have my little portion packs of what I'm allowing myself. And in my mind, again, there's no stopping the train when you're there. It's about addressing what's causing that, right? So like as much as I understand the desire, right? People don't want to experience the, you know, have this experience with food and feel that guilt and shame and all the things. Um, we're it, it, the ship has kind of sailed when we're in that boat, and it's more about like what can we do to prevent our bodies from feeling this need to go into that primal mode. That's interesting. So treating these you know, the lot of focus is on treating the symptom rather than treating the cause. Yes. Which is like backwards and never going to work. You know, it's going to keep yeah. you stuck and it's going to keep you, it's going to feed the shame because you're like, why can't I control this better? Why can't I deal with these symptoms and like, just stop doing that? Why can't I go like, just go for a walk instead of mm-hmm. binging? It's like, no, 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 no. Like we need to get the, like cut off the fuel source. Otherwise it's going to keep happening. Yes, trace it back to, okay, so why do I even feel this way in the first place? What even caused me to want to go into kind of this mode? 
Yes. Um, yeah, that, and like, I think kind of like we said before, that's coming back to that feeling of scarcity and restriction mm-hmm. that people may experience um, for a variety of reasons. It may be self imp- self-imposed levels of scarcity or restriction, but it could be um, that that could be your economic circumstance or your, um, you know, that there, there may have been a real lack of food available at certain times in your life. And so when you do have yes. access to food, you feel like you have to go for it because you don't know when food's going to be around again. 100%, right? Yeah, there can be that like, yeah, whether, whether it's like in the moment, like you're experiencing physical restriction and limitations, intentional or not, or if it was in your past, right? It, it, or if it's that mental restriction of, I can have the candy, but I can only have that much of the candy and it's portioned out and I'm being very, very careful with it. Like all of those kinds of things are going to contribute to that overall sense of scarcity and will continue to kind of feed that cycle. Where do you think like emotional eating, overeating and binge eating kind of are on a scale, you know, are yeah. they all one of the same thing? Are they different things? Is there a fine line? What yeah. do you think? Yeah, that's interesting. So I think like you can overeat without binging, right? Like you can overeat without feeling that powerlessness, that guilt and shame, the out of controlness, right? Mm -hmm. And that might be because you hadn't eaten enough beforehand and, or maybe, maybe it's that and you're going out to a big dinner and it's like this food that you really love and you just want to enjoy more of it. So you eat past fullness, right? And that can be a very like morally neutral situation, Mm -hmm. but when it's not morally neutral and it's charged and it's, all of those things we discussed before, I think that's the line where it becomes um, binge eating. Um, With emotional eating, I mean, I think that's interesting because binge eating, I think, is an emotional experience. I also think like, yeah, I think like lack, having a lack of nourishment and like being restricted and not having enough, which often goes hand in hand with binging. And it's part of that whole dynamic under being undernourished is an emotional experience, right? We all identify with like being hangry. Um, So I think like emotions kind of come into play. So I guess I would say like, I think emotional eating and binge eating can be kind of intertwined, but at the same time, I still think like there's absolutely situations where we emotionally eat and it's not to that extreme, you know, it's not to that powerlessness. Yeah, on the point of emotional eating, Mm -hmm. I think a lot of emotional eating gets demonized. But actually, there are so many emotions where we eat, whether it's, you know, out of joy on someone's Mm -hmm. birthday, then we all celebrate celebrate with cake. Or we commiserate ourselves if we've had a bad day with eating ice cream. And I think this is where people think emotional eating is a bad thing. And, you know, I remember talking to, um, I think, Laura Thomas about this. Um, another uh, intuitive eating um, nutritionist here in the UK. And, you know, we were saying like these things get so demonized, but actually there can be a time and place to use food as an opportunity to soothe yourself, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, but like with all things, if that's the only tool you're using to soothe yourself, then um, it's not going to go well. You, You need other tools in your toolkit to help you soothe. But 
you know, for the time being, if there are certain times when you need to, you know, lean on food to get you through certain situations, um, and that's all you have, like, it's not, we don't need to always demonize that. And I think that's where people, people do. Um, and with the overeating thing, now I have my own story on this because Mm -hmm. I don't consider myself to have experienced binge eating, Mm -hmm. but I did I was with friends recently on holiday and there were six of us that went away for a week. And we've always, over the last five or six years, we've gone away on various weekends away together and various trips and hung out a lot. And throughout that time, my relationship with food has really transformed. And I found it really interesting that the last couple of years, I've really calmed down around them, but I recognized that often when I would be with them, when I was in my kind of still in diet culture, still, you know, trying to monitor food, you know, coming awake, you know, slowly coming out of, you know, a very orthorexia mindset around food, which is very controlling. I would always eat loads more and eat way past fullness and comfort with them and often eat things I wouldn't allow myself to eat when I was on my own. And I wouldn't say I felt like totally out of control but there was a, definitely a sense that I ignored my own body's cues for fullness and I completely was not tuned in. And there was something about us all getting together that means that I would be eating a lot more than I normally would on my own. And I'd always like leave a weekend away being like, wow, I ate so much this weekend. Yeah. And since doing my own work through intuitive eating and really giving myself unconditional permission to eat, which I'm sure we will get into I've really noticed that I stop when I'm full. I I can leave food. I don't, everyone else feels a need to finish their food or to like, you know, we're having um, chips and dips before we eat dinner or something. And everyone's in there like a frenzy state. (laughs) And I can kind of sit back and go like, you know, I'm actually all right. And it's, I just really noticed it this last time I was away going, hmm, that's really interesting. I used to feel really, to a degree, like out of control in these environments but I'm not yeah and so for me that's like I don't consider that to be binge eating for me Mm -hmm. but I do consider it to be this part of me yeah understand you know tuning into my body and and understanding my my own hunger cues I don't know is this something that you've heard other clients talk about oh my gosh yes yeah or maybe you've experienced yourself Yes, 100%. So what comes to mind for me with this whole scenario is it reminds me of, I mean, certainly this is like a vacation. It reminds me of like the birthdays, the holidays, the whatever. These specific Mm -hmm. scenarios where we are giving ourselves a permission card. Like a free pass. Yes. And the problem is not the free pass. And I think that's what people think. They're like, oh my gosh, that's right. Like I shouldn't be just like giving myself a free pass. No, 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 no. The problem is that you don't have a free pass every day. The problem is that you don't have the permission card every single day. When you start giving yourself the permission card every single day to enjoy satisfying foods all the time, then these days or these times you go on holiday, it's no different than the everyday. Like, sure. Like maybe you're getting to have other foods you don't get to usually enjoy and all of that. And that's, there's a little bit of fun to that, but there's not this huge gap between your day-to-day satisfaction with food and permission and what you're allowing yourself there. And when you're in those scenarios, when 
you are usually restricted every day. It's, it's kind of the last supper mentality, right? It's like, I know that when I go back, I'm not going to do this. Like I got to get it all in now. I got to get every bit of this. This is my chance, right? It's, it's all the scarcity mindset. That is exactly it. It's the urgency of like, yes. oh, I've got to, you know, when there's like a buffet and there's so many things to choose from, you're like, I need to try a bit of everything. Uh-huh. I think now, like, and I would make sure I have a, you know, I would have had something of everything despite, you know, being full or being way past, even being satisfied, just feeling really uncomfortable. I would keep going because you never know when it's going to happen again. And right. yeah, it's really interesting, really interesting that you hit the nail on the head I think you've perfectly described that experience of being in that scarcity mindset of and yes you know when you do have that moment and I think this is when coming up to Christmas and I know you have Thanksgiving in the U.S. and you know these holidays and um where people do sort of you know go you know further than they usually would because they don't give themselves that permission so I suppose yes. this um yeah, I suppose this kind of leads us nicely into, I think this is almost like on a spectrum and at the furthest end of the spectrum maybe is that binge eating disorder, but there is this scarcity mindset that we can, you know, we can all slowly slide down the scale and yes. of that, that spectrum. And what do we think is at the kind of the cause of that, the root of that? I know we spoke about that scarcity and this restriction, but yeah, I just want to know more about that. I think because I I think maybe people do, I don't know, feel a bit confused by that. Sometimes that can feel a little vague, like, mm-hmm. oh, it's restriction. You're just restricting. Yeah. But I don't know if it was me listening. I'm thinking, well, restricting what? What am I, you know, what is it? What is it that I'm doing? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it can look a lot of different ways, right? It can restrict, restricting can look like, you know, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, I I woke up this morning and I'm not super hungry. So I might as well just like push it off. I'll just have some coffee, right? And like, I'm not that hungry. And I know that I I usually eat a lot at night. So, you know, let me just kind of like, really lean into the fact that I'm not too hungry this morning and not eat, right? Like it could look like that. That's restricting. You're not super, super hungry. And yet your body needs nourishment. And you're kind of like pushing that to the side. So it can look like that. It can certainly look like restricting foods or food groups and saying, you know what, I'm not going to keep this in the house um, because I know that I eat a lot of it if it's around. But on a more subtle level, it can look like I'm going to keep the ice cream in the house or I'm going to keep the chips in the house. But let me let me make sure the chips are like in the back of the cabinet so I'm not like tempted by them or I I wouldn't want to keep them on the counter because then, right, like then then I might go crazy on them. So I got to be really careful and cautious with them. So it's kind of this like it's this fear around it uh that and in not trusting yourself around it um something that i often talk about when i talk with clients about like healing scarcity mindset is that we heal scarcity with abundance so the more in your current life circumstances with what's available to you and and what's accessible the more we can the closer we can get to having an abundance of things available the chips on your desk, the chips in your purse, the chips in your car, like the chips at the front of your pantry, um, having full access, not portioning it out into the bowl. Like let's let's go right for the you know the source and having this mindset 
that it's fully available, that we're not going to run out. The closer we can get to that, the sooner we're going to start feeling peaceful around that food because that's what's going to heal the scarcity mindset. Mm, yes, that that unconditional permission, which I think is just so revolutionary for so many people because we've been taught to monitor and control and you know, portion and almost ration our food. Mm-hmm. Um, and to think that, you know, from going to eat zero donuts to eating donuts all the time can feel like, whoa. Um, and I, we spoke about this in my book, Train Happy. We did a bit on intuitive eating in there. And I think there's this often misconception that intuitive eaters like only eat cake and donuts and chocolate and ice cream. And that's all intuitive eaters eat but I like to think of that as that that might be a stop on the journey because you're <laughs> you're overcorrecting. you yes. know there's almost like an overcorrection that takes place and the pendulum does swing the other way but it's fairly brief in the context of your whole life and right. you know it could be weeks months and years even it depends on everyone's history with food and exercise and stuff but uh-huh. once you can slowly you're like hang on a second I don't want that thing I couldn't have all the time actually it doesn't t- doesn't taste that good you know for breakfast lunch and dinner <laughs> you know like, there's right. a point where I'm not into it um yes but yeah I- yeah I I love describing that whole like phase of the like like I, there's, there's some book, I forget what it's called. It might be called like diet land or something, but they talk about donut land where like you're eating yes. all the things, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, but anyway, I love describing that donut land situation as it's a reaction to all of the restriction and dieting you've been experienced. So instead of framing it in this way of like intuitive eaters, just like eat a bunch of donuts and cake and cookies all the time, blah, blah, blah. It's like you're healing from the disordered stuff. And that's what's happening. The the pendulum is swinging. The pendulum would swing either way when you're going back and forth on and off diets. But now the difference is we're not returning to restriction. We're not returning to dieting. We're moving forward through donut land to the place where we can find that neutrality. So it's, it's a necessary healing phase. And of course, I think that's what's get that's what gets all the screen time on social media and like all of that stuff, because it's, it's wild. It's so different from what, you know, typically people experience with food, but that's not, that. that's a very small part of the journey. Yes. Yeah. It's a stop off. It's not the final destination. Totally. And I think that distinction needs to be made and, and to be made clear. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other questions I had, and I wondered what your thoughts were on, I think there's this, at the, you know, at that core of binge eating, there's that, um that food scarcity element but I also think there is that um emotional element that that kind of side of us that um is maybe not triggered necessarily in a food sense of scarcity but triggered in an emotional sense of feeling out of control in other parts of our lives and so looking for control in other ways experiencing a deep trauma or a grief that and not knowing quite how to cope with it. And I should refer listeners to an episode we did with um, a a psychotherapist, Jenna Daku, uh, at the end of 2020. I'll link it in the show notes because we did kind of talk about this emotional core of what's behind 
eating disorders and, and binge eating disorder was discussed in that episode. But yeah, I think often people do always think it's a food issue. And it can be so much more than that. It yeah. Can be, the food for me, for my relationship with food and with orthorexia, the food was the tip of the iceberg. And then under the water <laughs> was all the stuff. That, that was all the stuff I had to deal with. But the food was my way of coping with what was underneath, you know, what was that underneath part. And that's yes. how I dealt with it. So whilst we 100% there is so much benefit and merit from healing our relationship with food um and you know especially with something like binge eating you know working with a dietitian an intuitive eating dietitian if possible or and a therapist but having that team of people that help you deal with the layers of what this is about because the food is a layer and then there's another layer and then we get to really what it was all about oh my gosh for sure yeah this is this is really an important piece to all of us. Oftentimes when I'm starting to work with a client, especially if they're struggling in this way with um, with binging, I make it clear to them, I'm like, okay, so this process of working on healing your relationship to food and, and moving towards intuitive eating is going to be so freeing and amazing and awesome and cool and all of that. But what it's actually going to do is it's taking away this primary coping skill that you've been using, which means that we're going to like leave all the stuff exposed, right? All the like pain points exposed. So like, you're still going to need to cope with that stuff. We're just going to need a different way of coping with that stuff. So that's where like having a therapist that, that can help you manage that is really, really important. And just like having that knowledge going into it that like, yeah, we're going to feel more neutral around food, but that's going to bring some other stuff to the surface while, while that's happening. Yeah. And this isn't easy stuff and that's a hard journey to go on. And I want to be real about that, but at the same time, like with healing food and stuff, like actually uncovering all that stuff and then working through it can be painful and difficult and challenging, but worth it. So (laughs) worth it. Um, absolutely because that's where true healing happens that's where the deeper healing and peace is Mm -hmm. and you know that's really important because this is about breaking cycles I think people we talk about with intuitive eating you know the binge restrict cycle which you know that that diagram that we use a lot um and I don't know, maybe talk us through the diagram, the, the binge restrict thing. So, yeah. so people kind of know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's basically like, I think it's, I mean, it's probably different in different diagrams, right? But you start with kind of the the restriction and then it moves to like starting to feel um, ur- urgency to, or yeah, urges to like move outside of that, right? The cravings. And then you kind of move to the binging and the out of controlness. And then the urge to restrict comes back. So you go back to restricting and then you just keep going around the cycle. I mean, to me, it's very similar to the pendulum swing, which is usually the way I I depict it. But it's like, yeah, we're just swinging back and forth or we're going around and around in that circle. And it all kind of feeds into the next, the next one. And it's like, what are we going to do to break that cycle? What are we going to do to disrupt that? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, healing, you know, working with intuitive eating as a framework can be so helpful, getting the emotional support of a therapist and, and finding those other self-care tools can be really helpful. Um, yeah. What are the key things that you're doing with 
your clients when you're helping them break that cycle and mm. um yeah. you know looking to heal their relationship with food but also get to a place where they feel you know calm and neutral mm-hmm. and they're actually thinking about food a lot less yes I think like the number one stop on that train like you cannot go forward without it is creating this foundation of adequate nourishment. And when I say that, I'm not talking about micronutrients and all the whatever. I'm talking about getting enough energy consistently, right? So it's really important to distinguish that. It's not just, are we getting enough energy in for our bodies in the scope of the day? Because if all of that energy is coming in at nighttime from dinner onward or something, and there's not very much coming in before that, that's not that's not that consistent feeding that our bodies require in order to feel peaceful, neutral, good, all the things. So step number one is really building that foundation of consistent nourishment. And with that, there can be a lot of fears that pop up around like, well, you know, I've been trying to lean into the fact that my body doesn't really feel super hungry in the morning so I can quote unquote save calories. So like, with that part of the process, we need to start bringing in some of the debunking and like the um, the food police stuff and how can we like shift your your thinking around this like good, bad stuff and all the beliefs underneath that. But But yeah, in order to throw a wrench in the cycle, we need to build that foundation of consistent nourishment so that your body on a deep level knows nourishment is going to be coming in. And then of course, hand in hand with that is something we've talked a lot about today too, which is like, having the permission. So it's not just having adequate energy coming in, but the permission to enjoy satisfying foods consistently throughout the day. Yes, that, you know, as you were saying, that consistency with food, it's like you're having to build trust with your body again. And I I talk about this with exercise a lot, this idea of building trust and and rest in that that aspect. Mm -hmm. But with the food thing of like, if you only allow yourself, if you know, that's so common that people say, well, I'm fine all day. It's just at night. It's just at night. Yes. And then you do go, okay, so what did you have for breakfast? Well, I didn't really eat anything until two o'clock. Okay. So what did you have at two o'clock? Oh, I just had some soup. Did you have any bread? Did you have anything else with that? Right. No, not really. You know, and then you go, you really like look back throughout the day and you're like, wow. So on a physical level, your body is going to like kick into that primal gear of like, get me food and get me food now because I physically need this nourishment. Yes. And if you take away that on a physical level, if you start to just um, regularly feed your your kind of fuel tank energy, you know, yes. um, you're not going to get into that like red empty zone where you're, you know, feeling so you know that we you know the hunger and fullness scale of intuitive eating the kind of zero to ten um you know you don't want to be in that zero to two category every day right every day and I don't know about you diet culture used to make me think that if I was really hungry like you know if you felt really hungry like you'd achieve something mm-hmm. like wow I was a really good person for being really hungry and like oh I'm allowed to eat now yeah, I had. I used to think on a very subtle level that I had to, you know, that if I felt really hungry, I was like, "Oh, I'm a good person. 
Mm -hmm. I'm morally good and now I'm allowed to eat. Yeah. And I didn't understand the more subtle cues of hunger for me that are like me starting to think about food being like, hmm, what is what have I got in the cupboards for lunch? Yep. You know? Or, you know, starting to think for me, I've I have i said this one a lot on this podcast. My my main hunger cue is like when I start not being able to like write an email or something, I'm like, nah, I need to eat because this brain isn't this brain needs some energy. Yeah, I love <laughs> my that. brain goes first almost before my body. Yes, totally. I think that's like the best when people make that connection of like essentially the mental cues for hunger, which I think is so mm -hmm. interesting because the mental hunger thing, quote unquote, is so like disregarded in diet culture. It's very much like, oh, that's just mental hunger. Like that's not real. And it's like, that's your body literally trying to like speak to you through your brain. Like that's awesome. And like once we start honoring that, like a lot of things can change. But I do think it's really interesting the like the pride feeling that I think a lot of people resonate with, with like getting hungry. And then the opposite of that, which is what like is the the shame and the guilt, right, that comes with like overeating, but it's literally caused by trying to hang out in that hungry zone. So it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's really, uh, it's a really messed up pattern. Yeah, it's like, okay, well, it's in diet culture, you know, it's okay, well, it's really cool to get hungry. And you're, you're, you know, I don't know how many of you speak, I don't know if it's a generational thing as well, like, people about, oh, well, I've only had a piece of toast today. Right. You're like, that's nothing to be proud of. Like you need right. to eat more and you need to eat regularly. And we uh -huh. need to stop being so, diet culture really taught us that if we eat the smallest amount possible, like we are morally superior. Um, yep. And that morality thing is such a key thing. And then, but if we do actually feed ourselves regularly throughout the day, then we find that, you know, we're, when it gets to nighttime, you're not going to feel so out of control. So um yeah 100 yeah. it's kind of like that that whole situation you were talking about of like going away on vacation and stuff like mm -hmm. it's just on a smaller scale right on the, yeah. on the scale of a day it's like you're not gonna stop at comfortable fullness and like whatever if the whole day you haven't been honoring 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 your hunger and allowing permission and, and mm -hmm. all of that like it's gonna show up in that time when you're kind of like, well, what the heck, I'm just going to give myself permission now. Like it's nighttime, whatever. So if we can kind of, yeah, meet our bodies needs the rest of the day, we'll notice that peacefulness naturally coming in later in the day. And one thing we do need to talk about as well is the role of exercise in binge eating disorder and how exercise can really feed into that cycle. Mm, um, yes. How do you see that with your clients? Yeah. I mean, what I typically see and like when I think about this in terms of like in the eating disorder umbrella, I almost think that this can go kind of more into the bulimia um, category mm -hmm. because exercise and over-exercise can be a way to kind of purge and quote unquote mm -hmm. make up for slash like do the movement so that you des quote unquote deserve the binge, right? It can take on this kind of situation um, where essentially, again, exercise is, is acting as a form of purging or justifying um, mm. the behavior. So that's, that's what I see. I see exercise really going into that cycle um, so people can deal with their anxiety around the binge behavior. Yes. Yeah. There's like a bit of that overlap in that area. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they can almost like feed each other. 
right. Well, especially too with like, if we're talking about this cycle of people having these periods of their day or their week when they're not getting a lot of nourishment in, whether Mm -hmm. that's intentional or not, um, and then they're exercising a bunch or whatever, it's literally getting you further into that primal zone, right? Um, Where your body really needs the nourishment even more and it's going to override that fullness signal just to Mm -hmm. make up for that energy. One thing I feel like I want to mention on this podcast in relation to all of this is how I think this shows up in the fitness space in particular and you know I was coming up in sort of 2014 15 2016 sort of very bodybuilder fitspo era of um, fitness on Instagram Mm -hmm. and you know the the videos that got the biggest amount of views on YouTube were these massive cheat day meals when people would eat you know do a certain you know X amount of thousands of calorie challenge. Mm. Um, And these were all the rage and it was like a lot of pride shown in that. And yet a lot of the people participating in these videos were bodybuilders or bikini athletes or fitness Instagram influencers who would then, you know, go back to their usual routine during the week. But on a Saturday, they would be allowed to have whatever they wanted and during the week it was clean eating and then on on the Saturday it was your cheat meal Mm -hmm. and uh, you know calories were saved you know just so many disordered very disordered behaviors Mm -hmm. just involved in the whole thing um and I do think it kind of gets masked a little bit more in the fitness space of being like well I'm just being disciplined and on my plan and you know doing my thing and then I and then it's a cheat day Um, but I do think that that is a very on the cusp, if not slippery slope into full out binge eating disorder of restricting during the week, binging on the weekends and being stuck in that cycle. Oh my gosh, for sure. Yeah. It's, it very much mirrors that It, it reminds me of essentially, it's like, um, just the way that diet culture endorses disordered behaviors around food, right? And, and calls it like, oh yeah, this is like normal and like even healthy, right? Like this is like what people who are quote unquote assumed to be like the healthiest people are are doing. Um, and yet it's it very much mirrors like some of the most disordered behaviors around around food. Yeah. Yeah, I see it in I've seen it in fitness a lot. Like I said, I'm I'm I live in a bit of my echo chamber these days. So I don't I don't know if it happens as much these days, but it was certainly a huge trend. Um and yeah. really glamorized and kind of glorified. And because it does get likes and engagement on social media, then there's this kind of like, oh wow, it's really cool to do these things. But I just think at that it's inherently disordered to do an excessive calorie challenge. And yeah. To, to kind of, yeah, I, I don't know, just for me, I just don't think that it's the kind of thing someone who has a really, you know, good relationship with food does. Yep. Totally agree with you there. I mean, it makes me think about like, I have to imagine that those folks are like thinking all week about like their oh. – they're planning right something and yeah scheduling the you know it's a I remember people you would go like to different restaurants around London like a foodie day in London and then they just eat 
you know, various different stops around the place where it's like a pizza here, a don't donuts here, this here. Yeah. And that's what would get be the clickbait for the for the videos on YouTube. And then yeah, I can't help but think, like I said, that someone who has a good relationship with food isn't isn't planning these kind of video Mm-mm. these videos. Nope. I don't know. Yeah, that's super, super obsessive and again keeping you kind of fixated in that way and it doesn't leave a lot of space to like think about other things and and put your energy into other things if you're like sitting mm. out planning out out your uh, your meals on the weekend. So yeah, yeah, totally agree. I have loved um I know it's been finishing disorder is like a a difficult topic, but at the same time I've really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. And <laughs> if we can hold those two things. Um <laughs> eating yes. disorders but also kind of really um I feel like we really kind of got to the heart of the issue which is important mm-hmm. for those listening and I, I really hope people have taken a lot from this episode and my number one thing I want people to feel is that they shouldn't feel ashamed but should feel that if they resonate with any of this you there's no how do I I'm trying to say <laughs> there's don't wait until you think you're sick enough. Don't wait until yes. you think you're as bad as other people. Mm-hmm. If you feel slightly off with anything, don't don't wait to get to support. Don't wait to speak to someone. Don't wait to, you know, work on your relationship with food. You deserve help no matter how you feel. And the way you feel is very valid. And so I hope it's validating for people so that they do, you know, like I say, get that support that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. The thing that comes to mind for me too is just like reinforcing something you said before, which is like reminding people that if you are struggling with binge eating and you're identifying with some of what we're talking about here, like you are not the problem. It's not your like you don't have to control it better or like have more willpower. There's nothing wrong with you. It's this system of beliefs that you've kind of like internalized and that's affecting how you believe this needs to be addressed. So get the support, get the help. Like you said, just to echo back, like you, you know, you, you deserve the help wherever you are along this, this spectrum. A hundred, a thousand million percent. <laughs> um, Kirsten, I have to finish this episode by asking you what has been your most recent train happy moment? Yes, I think honestly, uh, when I saw this on your your list of questions, like I think this is this is more of a pattern, but it just happened yesterday too. So um, I was doing like a, a workout video of some kind, and I kind of got to the point where I'm like, the end of the video, they were doing this like whatever, like finisher type situation. And I I did like one round of it. She had like a couple of rounds to go, and I was like, I'm I'm good. Like I feel I feel like I'm satisfied with this workout. I'm gonna stop now, and I just like closed my computer, went on with my day. And it's just like that whole situation and moment, it speaks a lot to me because I'm like, I know, yeah, it's so peaceful. It's so, there's no morality to it. It's all good. I listened and responded to my body and that just felt really good. It's all on your own terms. Yes. (laughs) Which is huge because I think for so long people would be like, well, I can't stop. I have to keep going. And yes, I push through. (laughs) I must just push through and just just get it done but actually mm-hmm. if your body's saying no your body's saying I'm good yeah that's really healthy to listen to that yes totally I've loved this conversation where can people find you support your work I know you have a book 
Yes. Thank you so much, Tally. Um, so I am on Instagram as at the intuitive underscore RD, like registered dietitian. Um, you can also find me on Twitter under that same handle, although I really just post things so I can screenshot them and bring them to Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, mostly on Instagram. Um, my website is theintuitiverd.com. And I do have a book called The Intuitive Eating Plan, which you can Google and find it or it's in the shop on my website as well. I'll link your website in the show notes and everyone can find you there and, and, and hear more from you. But it's been great. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much, Tally. This was fun. And that is it for this week's episode of the Train Happy Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you took something away from this episode. And if you did, please let me know by sending feedback. You can find us on Instagram at Train Happy Podcast. Or even better, it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast on whichever platform you're listening, as it really, really helps to support and boost the train happy message. And remember, if you have had a recent moment where this stuff has just started clicking for you, then share your story with us via email, trainhappypodcast at gmail.com to become the train happy trooper of the week. And if you have a burning question you would like me to answer, then please send those in too. And it may be answered in our bonus Q&A episodes. Once again, thank you for listening and I will speak to you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.